When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you don't have a clear curriculum for your classroom, it is so overwhelming to try to put that together yourself. Spending hours on Pinterest and Google, pulling worksheets and pulling pieces of curriculum together to make something that works for your classroom. That's why we created the Autism Helper Curriculum and now offer Curriculum Access. Curriculum Access gets you access to all levels and all subjects of the highly differentiated evidence-based Autism Helper Curriculum. You can have students working on letter identification and working on parts of speech at the same time in our easy-to-use curriculum. We currently have hundreds of teachers using Curriculum Access from all over the world with consistently rave reviews. I want you to join that group of teachers. Now is the time to ask your administrators for curriculum access. We have an email template ready to go so you can ask them to set up a demo. Your administrators can jump on a live call with our team members to see everything that's included in the Autism Helper curriculum access. Next year, let's reduce the overwhelm. Let's start the year out with a path and a plan and resources to meet all the diverse needs of your students. Let's make next year the year of curriculum access. Head over to the show notes to learn more. Hi, I'm Sasha Long, special ed teacher and board certified behavior analyst. Welcome to the Autism Helper Podcast. I'm here to explore different strategies to improve the lives of individuals with autism. Today we have Dr. Rachel Schwartz from the Watson Institute back on the podcast. Her first episode was on body autonomy and was so important and valuable for listeners. I was so thrilled to have her back. And today we are touching on an even more challenging topic that I personally was very excited to hear her answers for. Today we're talking about sexuality education in special education. Now your first reaction to that statement might be, oh my gosh, how do we do that? Why do we do that? We should just avoid this because it's uncomfortable. But as Rachel dives in, we really unpack why this is so critical and so important and how many core foundational skills we should be teaching. She gets into what skills we should teach at what age, how to deal with reluctant staff members, and how to really in general approach this, and especially those more interfering behaviors that are sexual in nature if they're happening in your classroom. So I'm not going to do a long intro because I want you to get right to this episode and let's go ahead and hear from Rachel. Welcome back to the Autism Helper Podcast. I am so excited to have Rachel Schwartz with us on the podcast for a second time. Welcome back, Rachel. Hi, how are you? I'm good. I'm, I have to tell you, I'm really excited for this interview. Ooh, I'm excited to do it. I love talking about this. <laughs> we have a really good topic, something we haven't talked about on the podcast and I think is really needed. Rachel's last episode on body autonomy was so 
um, valuable and needed. And I think this will carry on that kind of same topic really nicely. So today we are talking about sexuality education and whatever, you know, grades, levels you are teaching, whether you're the educator or the parent, this is such an important thing to consider. Yes, yes, it is. Um, And I think what happens with sexuality education in particular is people end up focusing so much on this being just about sex and pleasure. Like, you know, if you study sexuality education, oh, that's, you're talking about how to prevent sex, how to have safe sex or how to just, um, or you're just scared about it. Like sex doesn't exist. Yes. Uh, But really, I think there's a, it's about intimacy. It's about connection. It's about forming relationships of all kinds and community, friendships, all of that. Uh, It's about human development and just understanding your body and understanding how your body changes over time and for safety as well, just general safety about that's what we touched on with the bodily autonomy, but there are so many components of sexuality education that go way, way beyond pleasure. And often we get stuck in just thinking about it as a very small piece, which is really just a small piece of sexual education, but just thinking about it as something about how you give or receive pleasure, which is not really what all of sexuality education is. I mean, that was an interesting explanation of how much could be included. Like there, for, there's a social skill component, there's a health, there's a science component. There's so many different things that are included in this umbrella. Oh, oh yes. I mean, this is, and we'll kind of touch on this, I think more as we talk, but it's really that, that piece of uh, learning about intercourse or, or sexual acts is such a small, small, small component of a true comprehensive sexuality education curriculum. So from the perspective of a special ed teacher or a special ed clinician, why is this especially important and and why is this more challenging? Well, I think as special educators, we are tasked with building those skills and increasing independence and the self-determination of all of our students. It is impossible to address those goals without addressing components of sexuality education. Yeah. Individuals with disabilities experience higher rates of mental, emotional, physical, and sexual abuse than their counterparts without disabilities. So uh, I think the statistic, and this might be from, you know, 2018, but it was children with disabilities are three times more likely to experience sexual abuse than peers without disabilities. Wow. So, you know, that's a very staggering and uh, scary number. So at the very least, to answer your question about kind of why does it matter, it matters because it can help reduce abuse, reduce future charger charges of any sort of sex crimes. It also can reduce loneliness. Mm-hmm. It can reduce um, this feeling of isolation that so often happens for individuals with disabilities as they age. Yeah. Ideally, it's going to increase those connections, those healthy relationships and healthy boundaries. So if you're a special education teacher and you're tasked with, hey, how am I going to make, everyone says, I want to make them as, uh, all of our students as independent as possible. I want to make them have the most enriched lives that they can have. Well, you can't do that if you're not safe and if you don't know how to build friendships, relationships, and community. Yeah, that's true. It's a really good way to think about it. And we, you're right, we just hear like sex ed. It's like, oh, let's just avoid that. But if we go back to what our true goals are as educators, you really can't avoid it. No. No, as much. And and I have before in the past, I've been like, I do not want to touch on this. And yeah, I know. Yeah, it's, it is hard. And it, you can't walk into it blindly. Yeah, you have to walk into it uh, purposefully and in collaboration with all the different stakeholders. 
So where do teachers and related service providers fit in this equation on either getting this started, continuing this? Like, where do we fit in here? Uh, Parents are first and foremost the the primary sexual educators. Mm -hmm. As a parent, kids are first going to go to you and and try to learn about your value system in terms of sexuality education. They're going to be looking at, you know, if you shut them down as a parent or if you say, hey, come talk to me, I want to talk to you about that. That's where they're first going to learn information. So parents always are the first ones fielding those questions. Teachers and related service providers have the opportunity to support those skills in the classroom because there's many, you know, there are many competing priorities in special education and sexuality education is typically not one of those. And so when we're in the classroom, there are a lot of, and we'll talk about those subset of skills that we as educators are already touching on that actually fall into a comprehensive sex ed program. Some of the barriers that we often see with teachers in schools is the lack of teacher preparation. This isn't something we talk about when we're preparing teachers and pre-service teachers to become teachers. There's a lack of teacher knowledge that can lead to fear, concerns, and anxiety around this subject matter. There's the parental anxiety and fear and really a lack of valid and reliable sexual health education materials for students with disabilities. There are not, there are some curriculums that are comprehensive and complete, but there's not a ton. Some are expensive. And a lot of the times you might get the curriculum, but you don't have the training. Mm-hmm. So that can be very, very difficult for teachers to manage. And for parents too. I mean, I was like, kind of, as you started off with like, oh my gosh, the parents are the first ones. I mean, this is a hard topic with, you know, with all kids, but adding in that neurodiversity component makes it even more challenging for parents. Oh, absolutely. I do a lot of parent training right now where we just talk through what we're talking about now. Why is this important? What does it involve and what can you do? And to help dispel some of the myths that parents might have and often teachers have about sexuality education and people with disabilities. Mm-hmm. One of the biggest myths that I, I'm sure you've heard is if you teach anyone, and this is for anyone about sex, they'll run on and have sex. <laughs> yes. And that's definitely false. Yeah. <laughs> that doesn't actually happen. In fact, the opposite is usually true. Yeah. Um, Another myth that is really specific to special education is that you need to focus on the cognitive age of the child and not the biological. Mm. So that's, and that's false. We need to focus on that biological age, but we present information that addresses the cognitive uh, abilities, that addresses how they're going to engage in information and learn information. Yeah. I mean, and that's a challenge with teaching, you know, language arts, like (laughs) versus um, getting to such a complex topic. Absolutely. We're asking people to understand really uh, abstract concepts Mm -hmm. and to distill those down into here are some actions, address those, but more than just yes. And, you know, it's not just yes, do this, no, do that. It's we have all these yes and no behaviors, but on top of that, we have a ton of gray and yeah. need to learn about the context and when to discriminate to do these things. Yeah. You know, um, you know masturbation is the one I always get questions about. And that's one of those things. It's not, no, you don't do this. It's no, you don't do this here. Yeah. We don't do it in the nurse's bathroom. We don't yeah. do it in the school bathroom. You can do it at home under these situations and teaching kids how to discriminate those contexts it does require a lot of preparation and savviness to make sure that kids can understand that for whatever, however they receive information. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So it's not a quick thing to just decide one day, Hey, I think I really want to 
dive into these hard topics. You've yeah. got to have Well, and you know, uh, that, that example that you said on, you know, about masturbation and, and looking at the, the real age of the child, not the cognitive age. Um, I'm, I'm really curious, you know, that you gave that advice where and when to do that. And as a really young teacher, I learned this very quickly on, on this was going to be a part of my job. I taught junior high for 10 years. And did you, do you recommend involving parents in those discussions of like how to teach that discrimination? Cause I know every family has different rules and beliefs on where and when and all of that. Yes. I, you cannot start doing this without explicit conversations with parents because mm-hmm. what you don't want to do is say, I'm going to work on sex ed with these kids and we're going to talk about privacy and then have the kid go home and start talking about privacy with their parents and maybe in ways that you're like, wait, what are you talking about? Where did you yeah. this? And because parents are the primary sexuality educators, you want to make sure that you are aligned in what you are teaching and, or just make them aware, Hey, I want to address this topic and this is how I'm going to teach it. Okay. There's in most districts, most States, depending on the state's laws in regards to sexuality education for kids, you need parental permission anyway for okay. some of this. And they could say, well, I don't want you to talk about, um, STIs, but I do want you to talk about privacy and development. You know, they okay. can kind of go through that. And, uh, you know, and those topics really vary by age because there's some things that are absolutely inappropriate to talk about with a young child. But when you yeah. get adolescence, yeah, you're going to want to start discussing this. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. Yeah, let's get into that. What are some topics that are appropriate for different ages? Well, for young kids, elementary school kids, uh, the biggest topics are body parts and functions, Mm -hmm. knowing the real name of everything, because the last thing you need is to confuse a kid by calling parts (laughs) different weird things. Like, I have some strange stuff. Like, this is your noodle. Like, this is... Oh, my gosh. Um, 
So we have body parts functions, even body image, starting to use body positivity and just making everyone feel comfortable in their own skin. The need for privacy really increases through elementary school, where whereas kids, you know, three, four, five, they're going to barge in on you in the bathroom. They're going to keep the door open in the bathroom and they're going to, you know, they're on the body and you have to remind them, hey, we close the door. That's going to start <laughs> to change. So when they're 10, nine and 10, they're not going to be doing that. Yeah. So the focus is being able to communicate yes and no. That's essential for consent. So we need someone to be able to discriminate between yes and no, no, and somehow communicate that. Mm. And being able to identify different relationships from a family to a stranger, a friend or an acquaintance. And there's, you know, there's circles curriculum. There's a lot of different curriculum that you can use for that. But understanding those different relationships, because that's going to then feed into adolescence, where we talk a little bit more about um, some of those feelings that you're starting to have, you know, those sexual feelings or interest in others. In adolescence, you have the physical changes of puberty. So we start to really have to dive into hygiene, Mm. body odor, all of that. Um, In adolescence, we talk about friendships more, the different levels of friendship. You've established friendships and relationships as young children. How does that evolve in adolescence? What happens when you feel like this person's a friend and then have start to get interested in them? What does that look like? That's kind of bringing in those different feelings. So more in-depth relationship discussions. You might start teaching about reproduction, pregnancy, uh, birth. You might start teaching about sexually transmitted diseases and sexual safety. Again, the most important thing in adolescence is still for for all kids, and especially kids in special education as well, is to ensure how to give consent, how to make choices, understand privacy, and private behaviors. Mm -hmm. And with the consent, it's both to give consent and accept when someone is saying no. So yeah. accepting a no, and that can be across tasks, you know, often, and I'm sure in your experience as a behavior analyst, you've had this too, where we're trying to teach someone to accept you don't, an alternative, you don't get what you want all the time. Mm-hmm. So accepting a no is really an important skill under the umbrella of that sexuality education. It's so interesting to think about what, how many skills we work on would fall under this. And And to conceptualize that, like we're already working on these things in the classroom, but have that connection of this is why and this is what it does in the long term. It's it's pretty cool to think about it that way. Yeah. I mean, you're already doing, most teachers are already covering this. They might not be covering, for example, you know, contraception in detail or sexual expression in detail, but I guarantee they're working on communication skills, uh, accepting those no's. They're working on hygiene. They're working on all of those other pieces. And they're probably working on the relationships piece, even if they're not working on kind of the next stage of what is a, what do you do if you are in a relationship with someone? What are some ways that you physically express that? And again, that's that sexual expression that we might not be hitting that in our lessons that we probably in high school, if they haven't learned that, you know, and, and most kids stay, you know, till 21, 22 mm-hmm. um, in PA, they just can stay to their 22nd birthday. So, you know, th- there's opportunities as they get into high school. So if you have not covered a lot of those, you know, the, the pregnancies, the reproduction, some of the more details about human development, there was an opportunity to do it at that level. What recommendations, teacher, oh, go ahead. a quick question yeah. on high school teachers. Do you recommend that they maybe like collaborate with junior high teachers? You know, you get kids from all different schools, but it would be yeah. nice to know, I would assume as a high school teacher, have they had exposure to this so I know what to teach or what parents have already discussed with teachers? 
do you, what do you, what advice do you have for those high school teachers getting incoming freshmen? Uh, the short answer is yes. Yes to all <laughs> the above. The ideal is that there is a curriculum or a guide you can go to, um, you know, I'll send along some resources to have a guide so that you can say, okay, in elementary school, this is what we've worked on and this is where everyone is with us. And then middle mm-hmm. school, okay, here, here, this is what we're trying to work on and here's where they are. And then in high school, you're building up on that curriculum. And because it is really hard when you get a kid and, and this often happens, you have those splinter skills, but in terms of this material, you know, if you're getting a kid in high school who still struggles understanding private, private and public acts, that's a big, you know, that's a big deal. So some of these core concepts, I might not then focus on, okay, who cares about contraception right now? Let's just mm-hmm. focus on this huge behavior that is actually necessary for safety and, you know, if there's a way, there are some initial assessments you can do to figure out, well, what do they know about this information? So all high schoolers could, or high school teachers, I mean, could give that uh, initially and just say, okay, wh- how much does your kid know? Talk to the family. How much do they know? And if they get the permission, can I teach them this, this content, then share the content with them. And ideally, you can collaborate with other health teachers or someone else who is approaching this with the rest of the students as well. Yeah, yeah, that would be it's just a tough position to be in. I'm envisioning, yeah, like it would be great if we had that streamlined communication between schools, but you know, it doesn't always happen. So it never happens. I mean, (laughs) I thought when I like really started teaching sex ed, I was teaching adults, Mm -hmm. and so it was a very different world because these are people I wasn't bound by the school system. It was, you knew what class you were taking because you signed up for it. So all of these in the adult, I was 22 through, I think we had 58 or 59 was the oldest student in that first class. So there were a lot of people who were interested and it is a little easier in the adult world to be able to do that than in when you're in a school system, because in the school system, there's just, yeah, the ideal is you would get this, you'd have a curriculum, but more, more people, most people are worried about math and literacy yes. and not sex ed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, when we get into, you know, we kind of talked earlier about how people tend to avoid this topic because it feels taboo or whatever. What if as a special ed teacher, other staff members maybe disagree with you bringing this into the classroom? Yeah. Um, and if anyone's interested in doing this, that's listening, you will uh, you will face that. I have gotten a lot of I've gotten a lot of interesting discussions with people who are just this is absolutely not something I'm interested in. I don't think we should teach it. You, it's okay that you as a staff member have different values. We mm-hmm. aren't here to actually teach others our value system. That's for parents. Parents teach kids their value system. My kids learn my value systems about this, and all of our students will learn their values from their families. So we aren't here to teach a value system. We are here to teach information, factual information. This is what happens when you do X, Y, or Z. So sexuality education is not something that a staff member can just decide to do on their own because they're going to be talking about the sensitive materials. Like we said, they're going to have, they, every school district has some regulations in terms of how you talk about sexuality education, how it's addressed. What a special educator can do and should do is see how they can support the access to that information for their students. So that might be adapting some curriculum from the health teacher. It could be uh, that if they don't have access to information, they're, um, you know, because if they don't have access to information, they're not able to make those choices. 
and they're not able to participate in some of these discussions. You know, making sure that all kids in special education have options to join some of those. I forget what they're called. You know, every school calls them something different, but essentially like a health, like a mm-hmm. learn about puberty kind of class. Like making yeah. sure that all kids are able to participate and you as a special educator can help convey that information. But I interact with staff members from all value systems all the time. I mean, I was in a training. I did a training recently where a staff member was just like, I do not believe that we should be teaching this. I don't believe um, in people with disabilities learning about this. And it, it was like, okay, that's all right. But the question is not whether or not you believe because you're still tasked with providing information. Yeah. So it's okay. I'm not walking into a school to teach my value system. I'm just walking in to provide information or to facilitate access to diff, uh, information. Oh my God. We need to like save that little clip. That's a great response. Like, <laughs> But uh, also, and I will say also with that last, last thing is that I also like to appoint a primary staff person. So if this is happening, whether it's in a school, whether it's an organization, whatever it is, there's the primary person who's the go-to for this. So if a student asks a different staff member a question that would be in this realm, so it might be like, you know what, I was thinking about whatever, and I have these feelings when I look at so-and-so and da-da-da-da, the staff member uh, member can say, let's go talk to Sasha about it. Let's go talk yeah. to whoever that point person is. And maybe that point person is the one with the training and is able to, to give them that access. So it's helpful oh, yeah. when there are staff members who don't want to be in the position to know that there's somebody else who's, hey, I'm good with this. Just send yeah. it to me. And that might be some of the pushback that staff members give. You know, it's just, I don't know how to deal with it. Like how, let's just not do it because I don't know how to deal with it. I don't know how to answer those questions. So taking that, you know, pressure off might be helpful too. Yeah. And it all, it is awkward. I've had so many questions from, from that have made me blush and I <laughs> do this often and, I, and I'll have questions and I'll just be like, oh, okay, <laughs> fluster, 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 but just, uh, take a minute. <laughs> yeah, but it's, um, but I also think every time that happens, I think, wow, I'm so glad that we are sitting and having this conversation because I'm a safe person. Your parents, like these are safe people for you to go and talk to. True. And I, and I read this great article where essentially adults with disabilities were saying that they had to learn about relationships and intimacy from the TV show Friends and from like, mm. the, you know, other magazines, yeah. Cosmopolitan. I mean, can you imagine those quizzes yeah. from Cosmo? That is the, the, what you're your thinking is normal. Thinking is normal. I mean, so we have to remember if someone wants the information, they're going to find it. So we want to make sure that we're getting accurate information in a really safe way. Well, I mean, like, I mean, my mind is going to a lot of weird places right now, but beyond like friends (laughs) and Cosmo, I mean, think of what the internet gives access to. Like, so yeah, you'll find those answers and yeah, it may definitely be something not what you want your child or teenager to be consuming. I mean, I worked with a adult who he essentially was like, I, he had a really um, different view of what, of, of sexuality, sexual acts, because he had gone down a very dark rabbit hole in term, in in the internet, in the interwebs that led him to just what is, and he was like, oh, this is what people do. And I had to finally say most people don't do this. Yeah, it's fine yeah. if it's something you like, but like this is not what most people do. The use, yeah. And, it, and it's, it's a, again, 
awkward discussions and you're trying to, and I, and I would love to be able to avoid some of those by kids having more of this knowledge in high school, more of this knowledge leading to. So when we get to adulthood, we're not having to ha- say, Hey, let me tell you what this, this thing is. Cause now you've developed an idea of this concept yeah. that, you know, 70%, 80% of the population don't <laughs> have a different yeah. response to it. Well, also, I mean, I imagine this happens quite frequently with typically developing teenagers that if parents avoid the topic, they're just going to find videos online that might show them things a little different than what you would maybe want to teach. So, And I think the difference is with those peers is often they're a little savvier at discriminating Mm -hmm. what is, okay, okay, this is what I really should be focusing on. I, I understand some of these societal rules and cues, whereas some of these students in special education do not read those cues. And then we start to have issues with the legal system. Because, yeah. um, you know, I, I feel like I told you this last time, I worked with individuals who just masturbated on the bus because yeah. someone taught them at one point that privacy was if someone can't see you, which is not what private is. Yeah. So, um, you know, he was involved in the legal system and that's just, we want to avoid that at all costs. Yeah. You know, I had a similar, I used to work in special recreation and um, this child, teenage, you know, young man was taught that you could masturbate in a bathroom. And so he would masturbate in the public bathrooms oh, of the park geez. and that, you know, police were involved and parents were involved and it got really tricky really quick. And I, I felt so bad for him because he was following the rules. He was told, you know, he was told a bathroom, he went to the bathroom and that's what he did. So, you know, it gets, you have to think through everything so critically because some of our, students, kids are so black and white that we have to think through all those gray situations. And if I had a nickel for every time someone said to me, well, the function's automatic, so don't we need to allow them to do this? (laughs) No, because that is where I think sometimes the behavioral science, I'm like, yes, that's true, but this is illegal. So yeah. Like, yeah. Like, yeah. we can't teach people, you know, there's a where and a when, and, and, you know, that's, that's really important. That's what I mean about some of those gray behaviors. It's not just, yes, you can, no, you can't. It's, well, you can under these contexts and conditions. Yeah. That's what you, that's what we're teaching them to look for. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, this is a good segue. So kind of getting into those 
interfering behaviors, to put it like mm. mildly, that you know can happen in the classroom that are sexual in nature, especially junior high, high school transition teachers. What is your advice on on approaching those? And I know it it you know gets complicated very quickly. So for teachers that have that happening in their classroom, what is your kind of overall advice there without getting specific? Yeah. Um, well, first, anyone who is about to address or you feel like you're in a position that you have to address a sexual behavior of concern, something that's sexual in nature, should determine if you have a scope of competence and confidence to address the issue. There's a great resource from Matt Broadhead. It's not about sexuality in general, but it's just about um, behavior analysts and interventionists. How are we intervening and to make sure you actually have the skills to do this? So do you as a professional have the skills to do this work? Are you confident that you can do it? And if the answer is no to either one of those questions, who can you go to? What can you, how can you get more information? And um, in this article, Broadhead discusses some ways to increase your skills and confidence. But that's always my first place to go because often as an educator, you're faced with analyzing these types of behaviors, especially as kids grow. And there's always going to be one or two kids that are really fidgety that are maybe engaging in some of these more sexual behaviors. And so you might feel confident in doing an initial analysis and initial observations and data, but not in necessarily identifying some of those replacement behaviors. Or you might feel that you can identify the replacement behaviors, but you can't teach them. So there's some there's some resources in this, but really where I land is that do some of those exercises, do some of those activities to determine, do you have the confidence in doing this? Do you have the skills to do this? And before you intervene, do that through those steps and then do some risk-benefit analysis to determine the risks of any intervention and the potential benefits of those interventions and to make sure that there are skills that I'm sure you can teach or address. Because often there are a subset of foundational skills such as the concept of privacy mm-hmm. that someone hasn't learned. So you can teach that. You might not be able to intervene directly on, for example, masturbation or, or um, touching others' privates. Maybe there's parts of that you feel nervous about, but there are, I'm, I'm sure, basic skills that you yeah. as an educator can address. So I, you know, I always say it is something you have to be really careful on because you never want to make a problem worse. So going back and just saying, do I have the confidence to do this? Do I feel like I have the skills? What are the benefits of this? What are the potential risks? Who can I reach out to for help for this? Um, those are good exercises to get you started. And then you can find out what you you do feel good about teaching because there will be stuff that you feel like you can do. I think that's good advice um, in general. And that second piece is really important, that risk benefit. Because as you were talking, I was thinking through so many teachers that I work with that there isn't a BCBA in the district and there isn't maybe, you know, especially in more rural areas, like there might not be someone to go to. Um, and their quick answers to your questions of, are you confident? Do you feel comfortable? I'm going to be like, heck no, I don't, you know? Um, but that behaviors that you kind of quite truly can't ignore that, you know, where can we start with things like privacy and accepting no and things like that personal space? Um, at least those things could have some, benefit to the safety of the classroom and that child. And there's a lot more resources now that I think are widely available. So if you say, hey, no, I don't have the skills for Mm -hmm. this. I don't have the confidence. There's self-education that's available. And again, if you get risk benefits, you're like, I think the benefit outweighs the risk here. And everyone agrees that do that self-education, see what happened, try to bolster some of those foundational skills and see, you know, see, see where you go. And if you need additional supports, also there's a lot of more virtual consultation, particularly in an area like this that you mm-hmm. can, that you can get. Yeah. Oh, that's a good point. 
So kind of wrapping up, this such a, I mean, I've learned so much from this conversation, so many great points, but what are some, in general, some kind of absolutes that you think every teacher should be working on with their student when it comes to this topic? Um, well, I've already talked about privacy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's an important one. Thing. Yeah. <laughs> every student needs to learn the difference between private and public. I mm-hmm. have had so many students get in legal trouble because of what they do in public spaces. We yeah. talked about masturbation. It, it just, it doesn't matter who you are, you can't do certain things in public. So learning private and public, and that can start young. That starts in elementary school. You close the door when you're in the bathroom. You don't pull your pants down. I see all these elementary school students who are like, I'm just going to, you know, pull my pants down a little bit and show people my butt crack. No, (laughs) you know, we we can start that early. It's silly, but we can really start that. And that's an easy thing for families to also work on at home. There's so many ways we can start modeling privacy. And so that's a huge one. Um, You know, with that privacy one, that's what I was just thinking as you're talking, I feel like staff members sometimes need to do a better job on teaching that too, especially Mm -hmm. in, you know, some of them are self-contained rooms, kids that have toileting needs. Um, I know people are short-staffed. I've been guilty of, you know, maybe not maintaining privacy as much as I should for a student just being short-staffed, but on, on making sure that all of our older students still have, and, and younger too, have, have dignity maintained and are in a bathroom without other kids that are visible and things like that. And, and I know that gets tricky if you have multiple students with toileting needs, but that's an important part of it too. No, it's such a good point. Such a good point because often what happens, and I've and I've heard this. Have you heard this that we're they're like, well, we can't close the door. Yes, like, that's what know, I was told as a first year teacher. Me too. I was like, absolutely I was not. The yeah, they kept being like, and for so for the first like five years, I'd be like, oh well, we have to crack the door in the bathroom. I yeah. don't know what you guys are doing. And then I, I, look, I had a, <laughs> yeah. another person who was just like, but why? And suddenly yeah. I was like why are we doing this? But I was told that. Yeah. And when you think about it, you're like, so everyone can watch the student at, in the most vulnerable yeah. position. I feel like if I, if that happened to you as a staff member, when you actually think about also typical kids, can you imagine if yeah. we told every typical kid, oh, crack the door open so everyone sees you. Yeah. So we know what you're doing. It's, it's absurd. So, and that still is maintained, I think a lot, particularly in younger yes. classrooms. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so that's a huge one. The second, I think, absolute is the importance of saying yes, no, and accepting a no. Mm-hmm. You know, everyone needs to be able to express their consent to something. And that's consent to learning. That's consent to prompting. We had talked about that last time. And you need a way to say yes. And what's accepting a no is really hard for a lot of individuals. It's accepting alternatives. It's not enough to be able just to say yes, no. You need to be able to accept when someone's saying not now, no, thank you. Um, yeah. And that, you know, and that really, especially now tying into consent and we're much more aware as a society about that, that I think we we can, we need to embed it more into our special education classrooms. Um, and the last, the last few that I think are critical are, you know, Everyone should be able to identify body parts. That's huge. Have basic hygiene and some sort of understanding of their um, body, that bodily autonomy, uh, that their body belongs to them, and just some of that awareness because that's going to lead to self-determination. That's going to help them be stronger advocates for themselves and will protect them later, um, not from, I mean, assault, but just protect them in general from if they if they want to be out of a space, if they don't like the way something is prompting, if they don't like the way they're learning, they're able to advocate for themselves. So I think that one's huge. Um, yeah, I feel like those are my big ones. Yeah, and those are big. 
again, like the context, I keep on repeating it because it's really learning those contextual cues of where you are to understand what you can engage in. I was recently talking to another teacher because this kid just like blurts out cuss words in class. And we were talking about it and I was like, well, the problem is, is that this actually isn't bad. Like if, if you were at home saying this or on the, you know, at a park or whatever, people might not even bat an eye. Mm-hmm. You just can't blurt this out in the middle of class in this context. So how do you, you know, teaching those contextual cues when it comes to sexuality education is just huge. That's yeah. like, it, it's just everything. It ties into everything we do in terms of how we relate. Oh my gosh, this was, this was great. So many good um, pieces of advice and I think really thought-provoking ideas on n- not just taking, I don't know, the easy way out's not the right phrase, but simply avoiding it is not going to, I think, be in line with most people's values. When you really get down to it on, on our goals for independence and autonomy. Um, so it was really right. useful for me to think about it in that way. Well, you know, I love talking about this. I can talk about this all day. <laughs> I know. Keep going. Well, Rachel, where can people go to learn more from you? Um, well, I work with the Watson Institute, so you can find me there. Email is Rachel S at the Watson Institute.org. Um, we have resources on our website. I do some uh, information about, I have some information there that relates to sexuality education, that relates to, you know, again, masturbation, favorite topic, uh, <laughs> stuff like that, privacy. And yeah, if anyone's interested in more information, consultation, anything like that, um, this is a really hard topic. And it is one of those things that it's scary. And when I first started doing it, I was super scared. I had a lot of um, very interesting moments where in the middle of class, I realized like, oh man, I didn't teach this foundational thing and now (laughs) no one knows what we're talking about. So I understand that it's it's a hard thing to do. Well, thanks so much for joining us for a second time on the podcast. Thank you. Thank you so much. Have a great one. Thanks for listening to the Autism Helper podcast. If you liked what you heard and want to hear more, hit subscribe. It would mean a lot to me if you left some feedback. Whether I'm working one-on-one with a student, doing a podcast like this one, or presenting for a PD, my goal is always to provide as much value as I can. So your feedback really helps me make sure I'm doing just that. If you have other topics you'd like me to cover, leave in the feedback or message me on social media. You can follow me at The Autism Helper on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Pinterest. Or visit my website, theautismhelper.com. Thanks again for listening. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Having the right resources for your classroom is essential to making sure your classroom is running smoothly. At the Autism Helper Shop, we have all of the resources you need to make sure you have the behavior, communication, and curriculum supports for your students. Within our shop, we have adapted books, task cards, resources aligned to the VB map and the ABLES, behavior plan flowcharts, data sheets, curriculum. Everything you need, whether you are an early childhood teacher or a high school teacher, we have all of the resources that will meet those students' needs.
So head over to shop.theautismhelper.com to check out all of our resources.